Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Technology Leaders Podcast uh, with Sligo. Uh, my name is Jordan Tenenbaum. I'm the social media manager over here. We are joined by Mark Simon, my wonderful, lovely co-host, who's our vice president of strategy, uh, as well as Ryan Packer, the chief product officer over at Modis. Um, we are thrilled to have you on here, Ryan. Thanks so much for taking the time and uh, welcome, everybody. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you, Jordan. Absolutely. Um, this is episode three of the podcast for those who are counting. Um, don't worry, we will do more, but uh, we're, we're super excited. We all have new mics and, and new cameras, so uh, things should be looking crisp and sounding extra crisp. Um, you know, let's uh, let's jump into things. Um, Ryan, uh, one of the reasons uh, that I wanted to speak with you is because, first of all, I, I kind of found um, your journey in the transportation and technology space to be really interesting. I know we discussed off camera a little bit about uh, automotive technology, but um, with your journey into automotive technology, where did you start and what did you do to get where you are today? I'd love to hear a little bit about your story. Sure, um, it's probably boring to most people, but uh, I'd like to, uh, like to say that I started out with technology back when the Flock of Seagulls was cool. <laughs> and while a lot of people will uh, debate the validity that that, that era ever existed, um, it, what's really fun is that I remember as technology came into being, you know, I was one of those kids where my dad, who at the time worked for uh, Sperry Univac, which, you know, is one of those historical names that very few people know about today. You know, he bought us an Apple II computer for Christmas. And we were like, wow, that's really, what are we going to do with this? Like, what, <laughs> this is like just marginally better than socks. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, and, uh, but we started like getting into it and understanding what it meant to have computers uh, helping with tasks that you do, uh, games that you play, the way that you do things. And then I've been around long enough that I, you know, Remember having to mess with fax machines, remember getting my first email address on my business card, remember having my first cell phone when cell phones were still like the company had to give it to you because it was so expensive and so like uh, big that you would never buy one yourself or only very few people would do that. And now we're at the point where, you know, technology has become so pervasive. And I know we're talking about things like AI and ChatGBT and where, technologies have the ability to actually replace functions that we used to think was the domain of humans, you know, especially when you're creating and originating content. And now that's something that can be done by a machine that sometimes is very hard to differentiate from human created. And so we're, we're seeing the, the pace of change, everybody talks about how it's shifted, but really what we're talking about is the domains that we used to consider like this is where a human plays and machines play over here. Those lines have shifted so substantially. And uh, it's really driving us to question more and more, what is the human unique value? And, and that's as a product manager uh, and a career product manager, what I'm always looking for is, you know, what is the, the market alignment? And we're almost at that point where you have to start asking, what's the what's the target market you know what's the what's the applic applicable space or the addressable market for humans versus machine absolutely that's a uh, the comment about like domain of, of human versus domain of 
AI or robotics or, or just technology in general. It's a, it's a super interesting concept. Um, I, I did hear you mention flock of seagulls, which always makes me laugh. Um, because when I wake up in the morning, that's what my hair ends up looking like sometimes. Um, but, uh, this has nothing to do with technology, but just because you were raised and grew up in such an interesting era, eighties, nineties, you've kind of seen, um, like technology change from, uh, you know, something like a, like a record player where you take the record and you have to physically put it on the machine and put the pin down. Um, and just because you said music, that's what made me think about it. I also personally collect records and tapes and I have a stereo that's as tall as me just off camera. Um, and, uh, I'm curious with the proliferation of technology to the point that it's so like everywhere, like when you get into a new car, for example, there's like 8 million buttons and there's 8 million menus on a screen. And and personally, I kind of like the, like, you know, you can take a tape and put it in and press play and the machine's 50 years old and it still works like a charm. There's nothing wrong with it. Do you think that, um, I don't want to say AI specifically, but I don't know, this is a little bit corny way to, to phrase it, but like, has technology gone too far? Is it is it too embedded in our day-to-day lives? Or is that something that you... Um, maybe fully embrace in your personal life or maybe only fully embrace it in mm-hmm. your job or, or what do you think? Uh, yeah. Have, has it gotten too far? Have we done too much with it? I, I don't think so. I, I, uh, I know I'm, my gray hair indicates, you know, I'm well beyond the uh, digital native range. Uh, I, I have to kind of borrow my way into that herd, but um it's really, you bring up something interesting is you, you highlighted like that feeling of putting in a cassette tape and, uh, you know, I could relate to, I, I remember what it felt like to put in an eight track tape, you know, Mark, you might, you might be of that era as well that you could, you know, share that memory. And there were people who remember what it was like to mount a reel to reel, you know, and, and wow, no, that's real. That's really going back. I mean, I, I'm reaching, I know, but, uh, you know, I think there's a certain element of all of us that loves doing those things because it reminds us of the simpler times. It reminds us of our youth. It reminds us of those, you know, it's just kind of that familiar reminiscent kind of environment. But I, I think about things like um, the progressions that occur. And we look at interfaces, like even if you look at old Star Trek shows and all of the panels and all the things were just this array of switches. And now we know that if you were in that kind of environment, it would be array of glass. It would be array of, you know, projected UIs that could dynamically be adjusted and be personalized and things like that. So I think there's a lot of value that's occurring. It doesn't take away from that, um, that reminiscing and the value of doing something that reminds us of what used to be. But I think what exists today is so much more powerful, so much more capable and allows us to do things that we never thought of before or or control things in a way that we never considered. And maybe those are bordering on superfluous. And, you know, we always uh, talk about how much of your computer do you actually use, you know, sitting in front of your, your desktop with the software that you've got loaded today when I was a kid, everybody talked about, you know, what percent of your brain do you actually use? And that's now transitioned to, if you look at the technology that's just in the room around you, as you sit around, how much of that technology are you actually accessing and making use of versus it's just sitting there, 
you know, either sucking up bites or it's, uh, you know, waiting for some kind of uh, reason to come into being. So I think technology is at that point where we're continually struggling to determine what is the technology that really plays a material role in day to day. And that it continues to make our lives easier, better, easier or faster, all of the things that we're seeking, assuming we're seeking faster. I know a lot of people are using technology in order to try and slow things down or trying to get the technology out of their life to enable the pace to slow down. But I, I'm really enamored with technology and think that its uses are still at the very beginning of being discovered and uh, where we can bring technology to allow the human element to really blossom potentially once again um but i mean what do you guys think where where are you on that position mark i'll let you uh, take yeah, this I, one. I know i certainly have have some thoughts on that when i look at how technology has come into and in and been applied to, to business uh, at least over the, the the last 20 years that i have a meaningful perspective on you know you you see you, you see all these different inflection points and, and people fall into groups that have resistance. Like, oh, are we replacing people's jobs? And, and, and really, if I look at it, you know, what I focused on from a career standpoint, whether it's where I'm at now, that's very in, integration, automation focused, you know, look at really spending a lot of time in, in digital transformation and systems and in changing business, automating what's in business, uh, working e-commerce channels, automating. And all of that, there's been always this question that gets posed once I was like, oh, should we be doing that? Is that removing jobs? And, and it'll that'll get thrown out every so often. It's like, oh, is that are we applying technology the right way? And it's something that for me is never, I've never thought about it that way. It's like, oh, should we not do that? Because what I've seen is the real application is that as we apply technology in business to improve productivity, we keep allowing people to focus on the part of their job or to create new roles that, that actually create real human, where there's human value to them. And they're not just doing something that that is 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 mindless. It's it's about moving towards adding that that real value. Um, whether it's someone that's uh, you know work, you know, we come across this. I know I come across this all the time in here from from customers, former clients, and, and you have someone that's doing a role. It might be in a in a quote sales role, but the reality is 70% of their time was doing data entry, not actually talking to the customers and trying to understand their problems. Mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of the resistance that I see around some of this technology adoption comes from really not understanding that we can actually let humans do the more of what they of the value they can provide instead of having all these other things that, that could be automated stand in the way. And, and I think as, as we move into AI, we're going to see, that's only going to con continue. We're going to let see people be able to do the, the, the human part, the truly human part, the create the truly creative parts uh, of their role and, and add value really in a way that I, I think it'll enhance productivity potentially in a way that, that we can't even anticipate. hundred percent. You know, the, the adding value, uh, 
to like the humanity aspect of it. I was recently watching a video on YouTube uh, about a company that uses drones um, to ship like, uh, you know, medicine and blood bags and all sorts of um, like life-saving uh, medical supplies and equipment um, to rural places. Uh, they have quite a big presence in Africa. They have a presence in mm -hmm. Japan. I believe they also have one in, in the United States. Um, but not only did that create a ton of jobs because you have people getting the supplies, filling the supplies, putting them in the drone, launching the drone, taking the drone apart, managing the batteries. Um, but then it allows more doctors to help more people uh, in, a, in less amount of time. And yeah, it's a brand new technology that maybe there used to be a driver in a car who had to bring these supplies or a plane pilot or a helicopter pilot. But now we removed, I don't know, one or two jobs and create 10 or 15 more in, in, a, in a new company with a new technology. And you're doing something that's really helpful for humanity, which I think is pretty interesting. Well, it, but you, you bring up something really interesting, Jordan. And Mark, I'm, I'm thrilled you've taken the conversation this way because one of the one of the things that we need to keep our eyes on here is what we're dealing with is an increasing global population. And that global population needs to be able to provide for themselves a, a way to have the living that they choose to engage in, you know, so I'm, I'm not like, you know, talking about a, you know, finding a common ground for everybody, everybody should be able to choose and work to their, their desire or to their potential in their chosen sphere. And so we've got two dynamics that you have to look at. Are there enough jobs for every type of person in the planet? Because not everybody can be a drone technician. Not everybody wants to be not a doctor. <laughs> you know, not everybody fits into those modes. And as we keep changing this, and as technology keeps fulfilling more and more of these types of work, I know that it's easy to say, well, there's other jobs that people could go get. Could, would, should, very different things. And could just indicates, can they physically get from one location to the other? Yes. Would they do that job? Personal preference. Should they be able to do that job? Well, that has to do with skill levels, training, all of those kinds of things. And it's as we're making these shifts, what we're seeing and what we're seeing in the US in one way, but in other countries in very different ways is technology takes on roles that leaves populations without a clear path on how to fulfill mm. that purpose. And, and what do they do with that? Not everybody's at a point where they can just say, oh, my job got replaced. And, you know, I was a, a union role and something that was highly repetitive or, or whatever it is. Oh, well, I'll just go get retrained to do something. It's like, that's not as easy as we make it sound in technology. And we're talking about this role and how great technology is because we're technologists because this is our domain <laughs> and we find opportunity as it continues to expand keeping that that more universal viewpoint of well what about people who aren't and where technology takes away the one thing that they've known how to do for the last 20 or 30 years and the idea of trying to do something completely different there's some pretty high hurdles to get there one thousand percent yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point there, Ryan, that that's there's this 
this almost a strata there starts to become a stratification of society and there's a lot of different ways to look at that but if in a really simple way sometimes i've i've thought that okay you have you have people that are fluent in the let's just call it the knowledge economy and those that aren't and mm -hmm. some people can move between the two and some people can't and some people have never had the opportunity, say, to move into the knowledge economy. Once they get an opportunity or a chance, they flourish in a way and they find a fulfillment that they never had, say, in another line of work. And other people are simply that's but we see a lot of people having and we see this with, you know, the concept of, of being a digital native. Right. And being able to to learn things quickly and interact and, and a different expectation from from a work environment and how and and I think it, it create it, we have to be very careful because, you know, to your point, it can't be, we have to look to make that knowledge, that knowledge economy, that knowledge side, those knowledge workers, that area as welcoming as possible and try to give people opportunities, but also conversely, look at the things that will never be automated and are likely never be automated at least probably in our lifetimes uh that are that are trades and in, in some service industries that there's there's a lot of intrinsic value those are and and i actually see this very uh, this kind of this bifurcation in a way that in, in some ways there's there's e even more opportunity for people that don't want to be knowledge workers for for trades and activities like that because so many people are going the other direction that it's actually creating more. It's actually creating more value. So, um, I mean, anyone that's tried to find a, a, a good, good electrician or plumber will sometimes like you. You really find out, and and I and I've lived in both of these worlds. I'm one of the. I find I'm one of the few. Uh, people in technology that I know, I mean, I've, I've worked as a carpenter. And so you know, both lines of work are not for everybody. Some people can do one and it's not for the other and some prefer the others. I certainly tell you there's some days that I'd, I, I'd rather be building something tangible. There's, a, there's an inherent satisfaction to that. But I think we've got to figure out how to sort of equalize these from, from different viewpoints in society as well to so that they're they're just it's it's just as respected and just as valued in in some ways. A hundred percent. And and Mark, when this uh, podcast is over, I'll send you my address. I could use a birdhouse, please. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just joking around. Um, so and the other thing that that makes me think is you know like electricians, plumbers, mechanics, like those jobs are like you said they're they're not going to be automated. Um, you know there there are of course computers and cars and systems that monitor uh, you know your water. Uh, quality and things like that. But for the most part, you need someone in there with their hands on their knees with tools, uh, turning a wrench, changing the oil, doing whatever. Um, and yeah, it's just it's, it's just kind of interesting because, yeah, I, I'm so emerged in technology. I'm, I'm using it every single day, just like you two. And that sometimes you got to step back and just kind of realize like there's other people that are, you know, doing really important things that are you know, making sure that the ambulances work and making sure that the plumbing at the fire department works so that firemen can get out and do their stuff and, um, you know, pr save lives or paramedics can get to where they need to go quickly. And it's just a, it's just an interesting kind of how technology has infiltrated different fields. Um, speaking of technology infiltrating different fields, as well as uh, mechanics and cars in general, um, Ryan, I was hoping you could uh, kind of give us the rundown 
um, and give our audience the rundown on um, just what's going on at Modus and, and what you guys are looking to, uh, I guess, create and, and, and accomplish there. Sure. So um, at Modus, what we provide are solutions to help companies manage their mobile workforces. And a mobile workforce is a particular element of the population. These are people who have a core part of their job is that they are moving around to be able to visit, service, and address uh, customer issues or, or customer needs on site. And so you can be in sales, you could be in technical support, you could be in engineering, you can be in uh, home and healthcare services, but you have to go from a location to your customer site in order to do your job. And that includes, you know, delivery, merchandising. Another term for this is like frontline staff is, is how you talk about it is. And I, I think it was really great, Jordan, that you talked about the number of roles that can't be replaced is sure. You can call people. Sure. You can, you know, build websites that do stuff. But at the end of the day, there are so many roles that you have to physically go there. <laughs> you know? And uh, so we specialize on building the software that helps companies who provide resources or take advantage of their employees providing resources to use in that mobile workforce environment. So if I'm driving my car, if I'm using my mobile phone, if I'm uh, working out of my off my home office when I'm not at uh, or when I'm not on the road, when I'm using my home internet, when I'm not on the road, or if I have to have a corporate device that goes with me as I go on the road in order to keep me connected back to the company, it's that list of things that connect me back and the amount of data of if I'm doing temporary assignments, if I'm relocating, if I'm traveling a lot for business, it, the data around uh, how much I should be reimbursed and what kind of vehicle that I would need to do my job and uh, how much by my role in geography and um, position in the company, what kind of reimbursements should I be receiving for those assets that I'm bringing to the workplace? All of that stuff is what Modus focuses on and creating the workflows, the approvals and the transparency to allow companies to provide the right solution for their environment, be that helping them attract and retain this critical workforce or to really do fair and equitable reimbursements to help control costs. We provide the, the data and the solutions that help companies do that. So it's a really interesting point is, you know, pre-pandemic, you had a bunch of those people who did that kind of work and they're everything from the folks who make your grocery shelves look good so you can find the stuff you're looking for to the highly skilled technicians who are coming out and fixing machines that can't be sent in to be repaired, be that agricultural equipment or medical equipment. Mm. You know, think about when one of those things needs to be serviced, somebody has to go there to do it. You can't just box it up and ship it back. So um, this critical mobile workforce uh, is out there doing all this stuff. And the pandemic just kind of accelerated a bunch of that as far as getting the technologies out there, there was always the need and there was always the work being done. The pandemic was remarkable about taking stuff that we had been dabbling in as a society and forcing it to be mainstream in a really short period of time. Once it's mainstream, what happens is the way we think about it changes at a very accelerated pace. 
So if you just, uh, you know, I'm old enough, like we talked about earlier, I remember when there wasn't cell phones. And I remember having conversations with people who were like, you know, you could send a text message via a cell phone. And I remember showing my age, looking at the person going, you're holding a phone. Why would you send a text message and not just talk to the person? You know, and now you advance that so much to where we've gone through text messaging and it's become such a mainstream way that we communicate. And now the fact that we're doing these video things and, you know, growing up with the Jetsons or Buck Rogers or any of those things. And you were like, wow, people could talk on their phone or whatever, or they could go to a unit to be able to talk to someone in a video thing. And that video was always grainy or, you know, monocolored or whatever it was. And now here we are able to talk to each other in full color, in high definition, in full you know, high fidelity audio or have multiple people sitting in geographically dispersed locations, but having a conversation as easily as we would if we were sitting in the room together. The way that that's shifted and changed what's possible for these types of jobs is remarkable. And that's going back to the earlier conversation. I still think we're at the forefront of understanding what mm. this can do for us. And as we go beyond digital natives. I don't even know what to call this next generation, but I was at dinner with a friend the other day and they were talking about how their six year old can run a tablet completely self sufficiently. <laughs> and I'm like, what will that child be able to do and how will they think about things and how will they address problems when they're our age? compared to what we're wrestling with, where we're still trying to figure out how to adapt to technology, to them, it's just always there. It's like the Batman quote, like they were born into it, basically. Like they, they didn't, they grew up and that's, they were had, they had a phone in their face or in their hand. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just such a, it's so interesting. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm 30, right. Or about to be 30 and um, you know, a little bit younger than you folks, but definitely older than this new generation uh, that's coming up in this like technology tsunami, if you will. And it's, it's just, it's, it's wild to see how, how much it's taken over. Um, I, I do have a question about Modus though, um, because I'm, I'm relatively familiar with IOT, which is mm -hmm. obviously a, uh, maybe overlap on the Venn diagram with, with um, mobile workforce management in some ways. Um, but at Modus, is it, are, are you specifically focused on only the workforce management or do you um, like, are you measuring like a, a truck's gas mileage or how cold the temperature in, in the back of a food delivery truck is like, how granular are you getting? And does that, or will that be part of Modus in the future? So we are focusing on the mobile workforce and specifically the shared assets that they bring to the workplace and how does the company reimburse those employees fairly and equitably for uh, what they're contributing to uh, getting that job done. There is that whole element of the Internet of Things or IoT, where it's the amount of data that starts flying around. And uh, I mean, you highlight something really interesting is that at one point, if there was something wrong with your car, you had to take it to somebody who could look at your car and was skilled enough to be able to discern, well, if this and that, the problem's actually probably here. 
And then it got to, well, there was computers, but you needed a special interface. And then they created, you know, ODB interfaces that could plug into that computer and had cell phone connections and could take certain data and put it through. And now the vast majority of new vehicles come with their own cell phone connections built into the cars themselves. And the computer in the car is continually feeding that information back to the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So if you want to know what's going on in the car, you're not connecting to the car anymore. You're connecting to the API that's provided by the car manufacturer, linking to that VIN number and then pulling the data directly from the servers. So the way that that's matured and changed has provided a completely different way to think about things. And with that, the amount of information coming out of the car is remarkable. Like you said, is in the old days, it was, you know, I, I remember uh, hearing, you know, people like, oh, there was something wrong with my car. So I turned the radio up so I didn't have to hear it anymore. You know, <laughs> and that, that was kind of, you know, addressing the problem. Uh, now it's like there are so many sensors. There's so much telemetry coming out of the vehicle that we know so much more about it. Like you said, it's it's not just how much fuel is it consuming, but it's how much uh, uh, how the engine is running, how much uh, uh, emissions are still coming out of the vehicle. Is it running rich? Is it running lean? Is it adjusting to altitude changes? And then as we're shifting to elect electric vehicles, the same type of thing is occurring where that is literally just a humongous computer that is able to read and tell you how much energy is it pulling in, how much energy is it consuming, and giving real-time feedback to both the operator but also uh, through the network as to if somebody was driving uh, more efficient or could they drive more efficiently to achieve the range that they were looking for and how to adjust for that. And that's the foundation to really enable autonomous vehicles. And, you know, I heard a great talk the other day that the, the biggest problem with every autonomous vehicle and every plan out there will be that one guy who refuses to drive one of the computer enabled vehicles because that creates a randomness in the in the um, roadways that every other connected vehicle will have to continually be trying to adapt to. I feel and if we can just get everybody right out of those self piloted cars and into an <laughs> autonomous vehicle. The network could keep them all connected and all doing everything that it should and running efficiently. But get that one guy who gets out on his, you know, internal combustion engine, non-computer connected out their vehicle, and it puts it puts chaos into the system. Yeah. Well, I think it'll be a long time before we get rid of that 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 chaos out of the system. So um Ryan, those are all that that's a that's a really super interesting take on it. Um but if you will, I'd love to revisit something you said a few minutes ago, um, and and it got me thinking a little bit. And you mentioned the you mentioned the acceleration on the demands for uh, mobile workforces, and it, it you know that makes me think of really this this whole acceleration in digital transformation that we saw coming out of the out of the pandemic and there's all kinds of data out there and all, all most technology leaders are familiar with that you know really it really accelerated that adoption of across industries but it created a lot of unique problems and then we saw and then we saw um the the shortage of of workers in a lot of areas and i think probably for a lot of the 
people that have mobile workforces, if this is their primary workforce and their primary method of delivering and they're at scale, this is a this it's how to how to address the needs of that workforce is probably at the forefront of their minds and it's a top level priority. But for someone that isn't maybe as large of an organization and they have a mo mobile workforce or maybe a partially mobile or it's it's mm -hmm. a subsegment, what that person that isn't thinking about that but is still impacted by this acceleration, what should they be thinking about? What should that business leader be thinking about? that they're that they're not because maybe they're they're not as focused on that as meeting the needs of that workforce what what should they be thinking about adopting or adapting to i mean what are what are those digital trends what's happened there that that they need to do to at least keep pace or not be left behind so you know the interesting thing about it is it really just comes down to the the same building blocks of business is you know profitability differentiation customer service all of those elements are still exactly the same <laughs> and you will you will find that what technology does in all elements you know using spreadsheets versus uh just keeping track of accounts in a ledger you know yeah. using accounting software versus using spreadsheets using a, a, a erp versus using just account using accounting software or bookkeeping software you know it every time you add technology it does add a layer of complexity but it also then allows you to compete and to perform at a much higher level of fidelity because as we talked about earlier the technology is filling in a certain number of things that humans used to do and elevating the human element a lot mm -hmm. of times up to that analytics level to the decision making level and technology is providing decision support so with a mobile workforce for a small company, I can't tell you how many customers or how many customers we have where they're like, yeah, I used to just manage this where people would come in and they'd fill in their mileage on a spreadsheet and they'd tell me what they did and they did whatever. And it's like, well, that's great, but was that the right mileage? How much money did you waste in either, uh, if depending on the program you had in place, it could have been tax waste. It could have been that, you know, somebody's like, oh yeah, it's 50 miles from here to that customer site. It's like, is it 50 miles, you know, or if you GPS tracked it, would it have been 50 miles, you know, and all the work and productivity, yeah. uh, you know, you were talking about that, you know, this, the salespeople that you were working with, they weren't selling most of the time they were filling out paperwork or, you know, writing up log reports or things like that most of the time. And it's like, well, what if all of that was just captured automatically? And what you were focusing on is how do we actually serve the customer differently? How do we actually, you know, improve the environment there rather than filling out the report that says I did this or I did the other thing or this is how long it took me to be there. And so what we provide gives our customers very clear competitive advantages against those people who aren't using these kinds of technologies. Because mm -hmm. what the technology ultimately does is it puts the information and the controls into the hand of the customers to where they can make much higher fidelity decisions. They have more data to uh, provide support for the decisions that they're trying to make. So their decisions are higher caliber, higher quality decisions, and they can tune and manipulate their business better than what competitors can do who don't have these technologies.
Is so that what you're looking for? Go ahead, Mark. Oh, I was just so so Ryan, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's it's both a strategic business tool. It, it gives the company a, 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 a strategic advantage in managing this workforce on top of providing benefits to that workforce that that makes their life better and easier. So you're getting it's not just one. It's, it's you're getting both of those at the same time. Absolutely. And I, I think for Modus, like most with Modus is like a lot of other companies where we're what's called a business to business to consumer kind of business, uh, an entity where we sell our software to a company and the company uses it, but the biggest user is actually their employees. And so we absolutely are thinking about the, the frontline staff or that mobile workforce, and we have solutions that they use every single day, interact with on a monthly basis and high frequency. It's a part of their job, a part of what they do and the value they get both as an employee but also to help them to be more productive, to help them have a more enjoyable and and uh, more profitable job for them. But for the employer, we're also providing those capabilities that help them manage that workforce better, help them uh, increase their productivity, help them increase their profitability, help them increase the, the straight value of having the employees or running the programs that they have and optimizing the benefits that they're getting out of that. And so many companies today provide solutions that have to work in that complexity. It's not just a, hey, we, we give it to the corporation and the corporation has employees. It's like the corporation's judging the value of your solution by how happy their employees are with it and by how much value they get out of it at headquarters. It's interesting. It, it seems to overlap a lot with like Saligo's goals, product mission, where it's, it's kind of like, you know, it, may, it might be different between the B2B to C or to employer, I guess, B2B to E in this case. But, um, you know, the goal is to, at Saligo, we basically help companies uh, integrate their separate software applications and automate the flow of data between them. That's just like my quick elevator pitch on Saligo. Um, and the goal is to give these businesses more control, more access to data, and remove a ton of the like manual processes that slow them down. And I mean, I know Mark has probably heard this a billion times, but me being on the social media side of things, I'm constantly sharing customer quotes and case studies and customer success stories where people talk about, we used to spend X amount of hours per week or per month or per year um, you know, dealing with like spreadsheets and the goal at Saligo is to just remove that. And, and, and like, you don't need to do that anymore. Let's automatically capture that data in the place where it's existing and then transfer it to the place where it needs to go. And like, let your employees actually do their work rather than, you know, spending 70% of the time filling out uh, a customer call, um, recap in Salesforce. And, uh, it's just, it's really cool because, uh, and that's one of the reasons I, I joined Saligo is because I, I think if your business isn't doing that at this point, especially a technology or software company where you're not empowering individuals to be efficient, you know, get as much done as they can, you're, you're going to, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. You're going to, you're going to fall by, uh, fall to the wayside, if you will. But it's just very cool to see and, and get to talk to leaders in the technology space where, they see that vision, even though Saligo and, and, and Modus are two totally different companies, we're operating on similar principles and similar mission goals where 
you know, the goal is to help businesses get rid of stuff that's slowing them down, basically. Like, let's make yeah. it better for everybody. Yeah, ahead, we're, we're, we're both we're both trying to automate business processes for our customers. I mean, we're, we're directly aligned there. We're going about it differently, uh, but a very, very similar in end goal. So it's it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. I just uh, thought that's a nice a nice note. Um, we've been talking for quite some time, uh, Ryan, and I know uh, you're a busy person and you have a family and all sorts of things. And it's end of day Friday, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, but I did, uh, before I ask a final question or two, Mark, was there anything that you wanted to, uh, to pepper in that maybe you didn't get a chance to? No, I, I think, I think we covered a lot here today. Yeah, we, we certainly hit some really, uh, philosophical and practical questions. So that was, <laughs> it was an interesting conversation. The technology leadership podcast for all things technical and philosophical. Thank you all for listening, um, or watching for those of you out there still watching. Um, and I know Ryan, we talked about this in our pre-meeting, but I, I always like to ask a question, um, that humanizes folks, uh, lets them know that vice presidents and C-level leaders are real people outside of work. Um, when I first talked to you, my first thought was you look exactly like Shooter McGavin from happy Gilmore. Um, and he's a handsome fella, so that's a good thing. That's a compliment. He was um, a villain, wasn't he? <laughs> well, he was a bad person, but he's good looking. Uh, and, uh, you know, that just makes me think about golf. And then from there, <laughs> sorry, Mark. Uh, from there, I, I wanted to get to know you uh, a little bit outside of work. Um, and I know we talked about this briefly, but um, tell the people, you know, outside of work, what are your passions, hobbies, interests? And, and, you know, what do you like to do for fun? That kind of stuff, just so they can get to know you a little better. Give some SDRs yeah, so some... Uh, some some uh ammunition for their future outreach if you will sure well i i am like like many people i am very lucky in that i've got an amazing family that i just uh love filling my days with uh, i've got two daughters who are uh pretty incredible in their own right one is a paralegal with a criminal defense attorney and the other one works at the Oklahoma City Zoo. So she's the one that most people are like, oh, that sounds like, you know, how do you get that job? Um, but they're both doing awesome in life. And it's just, there's nothing better than seeing your uh, children be successful. I also have a phenomenal wife who is an amateur trainer of bird dogs. And uh, she is finding awesome. a great deal of success. Just came back from the a German short hair pointer nationals where she had a dog competing and uh, she is uh, really just amazing in uh, everything she takes on and what she does. When I, when I have time to myself, I spend a lot of it on uh, two wheels, either uh, motorcycles or bicycles. And uh, I uh, ride quite a bit and uh, really enjoy just getting out most of it pedaling. I try and do the human powered thing to keep my uh, heart in shape. Uh, I, I always have to clarify for people that I'm not going towards a, a personal best. I'm trying to get away from all of the things that would shorten my life. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I uh, love, uh, love biking and motorcycling and um, I just have a, a great life. I couldn't think of uh, anything more than I would want right now. That's a, that's really amazing to hear. Um, always good when folks are doing well and, and, and happy inside and outside of work. Um, to wrap things up with the one final question, um, you know, we've talked about cars, we've talked about motorcycles, we've talked about bikes, transportation in general. Um, mm. 
for this final question, I want to focus a little bit on the automotive side because um, I know you and I have talked about that in the past. But um, with all of the new cars, all of the new technology, um, whether that's autopilot or self-driving or electric cars or even hydrogen cars, um, what uh, what maybe car or invention or aspect of the automotive um, future technology are you most interested in? And what is an aspect of automotive future technology that makes you roll your eyes to the back of your head? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think I'm smart enough to answer that second question is, uh, you know, the roll my eyes to the back of my head. It's, um, yeah, I mean, cars are a pinnacle of technology to nowadays between the safety features that are coming into them, the uh, connectivity features that are coming into them. It is remarkable everything that's packed in. And I think what we're just at the very early elements of is cars becoming more like other types of uh, technology enabled solutions that we have where you start seeing a separation between operating systems and the actual mm -hmm. platform itself. So if you take your car apart to its most basic elements, you have not just the type of engine, it, it's not just is it, you know, battery or internal combustion, but who's the manufacturer of it? What is the purpose of it? You know, is it meant to be an incredibly efficient? Is it meant to be incredibly high performance? You know, is it meant to be uh, uh, very strong and powerful? So you've got the the, the um, motivational platform of the vehicle, the thing that makes it go and stop. You have the, uh, the user experience side, you know, what types of materials and trims and is it going to be a vehicle that you would sit back and watch movies in while you're being driven somewhere? Is it a vehicle that you want the driver experience and you're like sitting in the middle of the car with a, you know, steering wheel? But then you've got the operating system and the operating system, I, I can definitely see a future where nobody or very few of us as consumers understand that there's only a few people who build the software that runs cars and you know they're shared by many of the car platforms and the uis are just customized so that it looks like when you're sitting in this car versus that car it looks very different but then you realize that the workflows are you know primarily the same and you're using the same software on the back end and i can see that there's now mergers of I could imagine a future where you've got a Google or a Windows or an Apple UI in your car because you prefer that over a manufacturer's UI. And if you think about it, if all the telemetry coming out of the car is already, you know, digitized and traveling through the network and you're already, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of the times I get into my car and the first thing I do is connect uh, my phone to the car. And I'm doing most of the stuff that I want done in the car in my phone's OS rather than the car OS, which is telling me like how much gas there is and how much whatever, I can definitely see a future where these things are going to keep merging. And I remember a time, uh, you know, this was probably late 90s, early 2000s, where we were talking about the concept of being able to walk around with a mobile computing core in your pocket. And that you could just go, when you go home, you instantiate your core at home and it lights up all your home uh, uh, peripherals. And then you take it to the office and it connects to the cloud and has all your information there. 
And it's like, yeah, we thought we were pretty smart back in the 2000s. Now we actually have it. And we're walking around with our incredibly powerful phones in our pockets. And we're just starting. You're getting uh, all the home automation connecting to that. Car is just the next horizon where it's, I want my personalizations. I want my color schemes. I want the way I want to work with stuff just to follow me into the car. And I want access to all my data and all of my stuff. So that if I have a to-do list that I keep on my phone that's um, connected to my you know, home automation system so that I can speak grocery list items and it will get added to my, when I get into the car, that should show up on the screen to say, hey, you're driving by the grocery store. Don't you want to stop by and pick up those 10 items? And that shouldn't be on my phone screen. That should be part of the heads up display in the car. You know, it's, I can see that world all coming together. That's a... That's awesome. That's a really, it's a really interesting answer. Um, and I consider myself very knowledgeable about cars. I did not know that um, there's only a few providers of the software and they're all just customizing the UI, but that, that makes uh, total sense that everything is kind of becoming more integrated. I mean, even recently, like Sony is creating an electric car and they're probably going to have their own UI um, that they've developed from other places. And yeah, Apple and Google and all these technology companies that people live with their lives so ubiquitously it's it's like why can't i have that in my car um and it's funny i my car is from 1997 it does not have any bluetooth it <laughs> barely has a computer uh i <laughs> have to plug it in plug it into my phone to get the radio to work um i still so love you it, are but... the you are the guy who's going to create the chaos in the future yeah. network <laughs> that's why I, I said i said i feel attacked uh when you <laughs> I probably cut off because you were you were talking but yes that would be me I'll, I'll get with the times eventually. Uh, anyways, enough about myself. Um, we're going to wrap up this call, uh, this podcast. Excuse me, Ryan, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. This has been a super fun conversation covering all sorts of different things. Um, Mark Simon, my wonderful co-host, uh, thank you again for joining as well. Um, for those uh, who made it this far, this is the end of episode three of the Te Technology Leadership Podcast presented by Saligo. Uh, we'll see you all next time. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, Jordan. Thank Thanks, you. Mark.